He is risen indeed. And so I want to invite you to grab your Bible and get situated as we celebrate the defining moment in all of history. And that is the day Jesus defeated death and resurrected from the grave. We are living through an unprecedented time that will be written about in history books. You will tell your grandkids about the time the world shut down. In fact, documentaries will probably uh, be produced that retells the story of this coronavirus for generations to come. But, but there is a far, far greater historical moment that I want us to focus on today, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. In fact, let's grab our Bibles and, uh, and read about the resurrection of Jesus from Matthew's Gospel in Matthew chapter 27. So if you have your Bibles there, I invite you to turn to Matthew 27, and we're going to read verses 62 all the way into Matthew 28, verse 10. So Matthew 27, beginning in verse 62, it says, The next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, He has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, You have a guard of soldiers? Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee, and there you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. You know, Christianity is the assertion that Jesus died for our sins and was buried and resurrected from the grave. I absolutely love what the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, where he writes, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. Now, if this is true, that is, if, if that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, and if this is true, if this is real, then nothing is more important in our lives. I mean, if it didn't happen, though, then there's really no compelling reason for us to follow Jesus, for he would just be another fraud. But if it did happen, then nothing is more crucial than finding out what it means and what it brings to our lives. 
Now, last Sunday, uh, in our series here, The Passion of the Christ, we looked at Jesus' death on the cross. And we saw there that Jesus was cut off so that we could be brought in. That is, Jesus was momentarily separated from God the Father as he bore our sin and he paid its penalty so that we now could be reconciled to God the Father in a loving relationship that lasts forever. Today, we're going to look at Jesus' resurrection from the grave. And while Jesus' death is a Uh, A very sad event. His resurrection is a glad event. In fact, the resurrection uh, is good news for this very reason. The resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate source of our hope and joy in this world. Now, we're all aware of sad things in this life. In fact, God is aware of them too. And, And so we're not to ignore Uh, these sad realities about life. Right now, uh, all of us are concerned with disease and death as it spreads across our country and around the world. In fact, so far, it's estimated that over 100,000 people have already died due to the coronavirus. And while death is the primary cause of grief in most people's life, there is much, much more in this world that is sorrowful, even painful in life. I mean, just take, for example, this pandemic. Already, the fallout of this pandemic and the fallout of these home, stay-at-home orders is, is already causing all kinds of disappointment and heartache and pain. Think about it. People are being laid off from their jobs. Incomes are, are being reduced. Graduations are being canceled. Seniors are losing out on their proms and other high schoolers. Wedding ceremonies are being rescheduled. Funerals can't be held for loved ones. Domestic violence and suicides are on the rise. People are turning to addictions and other things to cope with the isolation. And so Christianity doesn't sugarcoat the hurt doesn't sugarcoat the pain of life, but the resurrection shows us that we don't have to dwell there. There is hope in the risen Savior. There's joy in the reality that Jesus rose from the grave. And that's why the angel then comes to these two women and tells them in verse 7, go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead. Why? Because the disciples are grieving over the death of Jesus. But Jesus has risen from the dead, and that now changes everything. That brings joy and hope to our lives. Now, not everybody responds the same way to the resurrection of Christ. In fact, in this passage of Scripture here in Matthew 28, we actually find two different responses, two different reactions to the resurrection of Jesus. And we see the very first response is fearful disbelief. You know, the saddest tragedy in this world is the rebellion in the human heart against God. We are, apart from God's grace, stubborn in our determination to resist God, even when he is acting to save us. And nowhere is this illustrated better than the Jewish religious leaders' response toward Jesus. These religious leaders have plotted for 
three years now to have Jesus crucified. And now we see how determined they were to keep him in the tomb due to their own fearful disbelief. In fact, their fearful disbelief is really revealed to us through three different words that Matthew records about them. We see, first of all here, the religious leaders call Jesus this imposter. Look what it says again in verses 62 and 63. It says, the next day, that is, after the day of preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate and said, Sir, we remember how that imposter said. While he was still alive, after three days, I will rise. Now, ironically, the religious leader's chief concern was actually the possibility of Jesus rising from the dead. You see, they think Jesus is just an imposter or even a deceiver, and yet they are worried that even in Jesus' death, he will still be a problem for them. But they refuse to believe that Jesus will rise from the dead, but they also, at the same time, want to protect themselves from the very possibility of his resurrection. And the irony here is that Jesus' opponents actually took Jesus' words about rising from the dead more seriously than his own disciples. You see, these religious leaders actually remembered Jesus' words while the disciples apparently forgot it, for they are nowhere to be seen around the tomb. And so the religious leaders called Jesus an imposter, revealing their own fearful disbelief. But we also see that the religious leaders think Jesus' life and teachings are a fraud. We see this in verse 64. Notice what they tell Pilate. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead and the last fraud will be worse than the first. Now, to call Jesus' life and teachings a fraud is to basically say that it's completely wrong and that his teachings lead people in the wrong direction. And this word is closely uh, connected to the word for imposter. So, in other words, they think Jesus is, is more than just a fake. He's a fraud. His life is a fraud. His teachings are a fraud. And so these religious leaders are worried about what his disciples might do to prolong this deceptive teaching of Jesus. In fact, they're worried that the disciples might try to steal the body of Jesus and then claim to everyone he's alive. And so that brings us to what they do next. They take action. They seek And they try to make Jesus' tomb secure. Notice Pilate's response in verses 65 and 66. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go, make it as secure as you can. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. Now these religious leaders, see, they want the personal security of knowing that Jesus will not even be suspected of rising from the dead. You see, they know the implications of that kind of event. And so they take every precaution they can to secure the tomb. But if those are their worries, then isn't it a little ironic that they think a few guards will somehow hold Jesus back? I mean, think about it. If Jesus can rise from the dead, then he can certainly move a stone. He can overpower guards and so on. You see, these religious leaders have now used everything in their power to try to stop Jesus when Jesus was alive. They harassed him. They threatened him. 
They tried to discredit him. And when that didn't work, they finally killed him. And even after Jesus was crucified, they are now still trying to stop him by securing his tomb with soldiers and a Roman seal that basically made it a crime against Rome to violate this tomb. But it all backfired. God broke in. The Roman and religious powers could not overpower the resurrection power of God. And so when these religious leaders questioned Jesus about giving them a sign, it's interesting. Jesus told them that he would give them one sure sign. And that sign was this, the sign of the prophet Jonah. You find that in Matthew 12, which was really symbolic of Jesus' own death and resurrection. And now here is that sign. And yet, They refuse to believe. What's ironic is that some of these same people, if you remember when they were at the cross, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, they mocked Jesus, crying out and saying to him, let him come down now from the cross and we will what? Believe in him. Sure you will. Jesus has come down from the cross and he will rise again just as he said he would. And yet these religious leaders still refuse to believe. In his resurrection. You know, fearful disbelief. It's, it's all too common when it comes to Jesus Christ. Like the religious leaders in Jesus' day, there are still many people who would rather call Jesus a phony and just outright reject his teachings as a fraud. But underneath it all, the real issue, the heart of the issue, is the rebellion against God. Our rebellion in our hearts against God as the sovereign ruler over our lives. You see, this fearful disbelief caused the most religious people in Israel to blindly kill their own Messiah. And that's what fearful disbelief does. It blinds us to the hope and joy that is found only in Jesus Christ. And so, yes, there is much that is sad in this world. There is much that is oppressed to the truth of Jesus Christ. But the sinfulness of humanity and the wickedness in the world can't overcome the resurrection power of Jesus Christ. And this brings us to our second response to Jesus' resurrection, and that is one of joyful belief. You know, this second response, obviously, it's it's radically different. Instead of fearful disbelief by these religious leaders, we now find joyful belief. And we see this joyful, joyful belief in two women. We'll start at verse 1 here in Matthew 28. Look what it says again. It says, Now after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see Jesus. Now the setting is significant. Matthew, once again, is doing something for us. He's, he's providing historical details of the resurrection of Christ for us. In other words, it's a real day in history, and two real people in history now see it and approach the tomb. Two people, in this case, are the two Marys. You have Mary Magdalene, and you have Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. In fact, what's also interesting is in all four Gospels, we are told that the very first eyewitnesses to the risen Lord were women. These two women 
were the same ones who were last to the cross, and now they are the first ones to the tomb of Jesus Christ. So what did they see when they got to the tomb? What was it that they saw that filled their hearts with such joy? Well, we see here that the two women, they go to see Jesus' tomb, and they find it empty. These two women went to the tomb simply hoping to finish the burial process by anointing Jesus' body with perfume and spices. But the thing that they absolutely did not expect was an empty tomb with the stone rolled away and an angel sitting on the top. And yet, that's exactly what they find. Look what it says again in verses 2 through 4. And behold, there was a great earthquake. For an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. Now, Jesus was supposed to be dead in the tomb. But the only, quote, dead men we read about are these guards who shook for fear and became like dead men themselves. And for good reason. They had failed in their duty to keep the tomb secured, sealed. But they were no match against the angel of the Lord who rolled back the tomb from the door, rolled back the stone, I I mean, from the door of the tomb. And the reason the stone was rolled away, listen, was not to let Jesus out. The reason the stone was rolled away was, was to let the women in so they could see that Jesus was not there. And you just got to love the image of the angel sitting on the stone. Remember, the stone was supposed to seal the tomb, and yet the angel sits on top of the stone. It's, it's almost like this visible, visible symbol of Christ's victory over death in the grave. Also notice that the first people to behold the evidence of the empty tomb are Jesus' enemies and then these women. You see, the Roman guards who had been placed there to guard it, they see the same thing. And then these two women see it. And so don't miss this. The soldiers and these two women are witness to the very same facts with the same reality. They all see the angel. They all see the great earthquake. They all see the stone rolled away. And they all see the empty tomb. But only the women believed. You see, the problem of believing Jesus' resurrection is not because of lack of testimony. It's not even because of lack of credibility. No, the problem is almost always in the heart. And that's why we need God to open our hearts to believe in Jesus Christ. The angel now comforts these two women. And he does so with the greatest news in all the world. But first the angel tells them in verse 5, Do not be afraid. Which is quite normal. For in the Bible, when someone encounters an angel, he or she always fears. This is why the angel first has to stop and say, fear not or do not be afraid. And what's beautiful here is we see that Jesus' resurrection, it counteracts fear. In fact, it actually demonstrates God's trustworthiness to keep his promises. So the angel has good news to announce to these two women. Look what the angel says in verse 5 and 8. Do not be afraid. 
For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where the Lord lay. And so uh, Jesus' resurrection even invites investigation now. It doesn't demand blind faith. It doesn't demand a, a leap in the dark. The angel doesn't say to these women, the stone is rolled away, but there's no need to check inside the tomb. Just take it on faith that Jesus is gone. No, the angel invites these women to use their own senses to make sense of what's going on. He says, come, see the place where the Lord lay. And so the two Marys will see, and eventually they will touch Jesus. They will behold him in the flesh by holding on to his flesh in real time at a real place near the tomb and soon again in Galilee. Then these ladies are given their great commission by the angel and off they go running to tell the other disciples what they saw. And I just love what Matthew records their mixed emotion with all of this of fear and great joy. Now, new parents understand this concept of great joy that is mixed with fear. After all, when most parents find out that they're having a baby for the very first time, there's this great sense of joy. Their hearts are overfilled with joy. And then fear begins to sink in a little bit as they think, I don't know if I'm quite prepared for this. Whatever fear these two women had in the beginning, and who wouldn't have some fear after seeing what they saw? Listen, their great joy pushed them on their mission. And so as they ran to tell the disciples, that's when they encounter none other than the risen Savior. Notice, these two women see the risen Savior and don't miss what they do. They worship him. Look what it says in verse 9. As they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them saying, rejoice. Now, why would Jesus say rejoice? Because he's alive. He's risen from the dead. Jesus is now standing in front of these two women who have come to mourn his death. But now there's reason to rejoice. Jesus is alive. And look at their reaction in verse 9 of these two women. And so they came and beheld him by the feet, and they worshipped him. Now that's interesting. In fact, in Matthew's gospel alone, ten times Jesus is said to be worshipped. And twice after the resurrection. And such worship always involves this adoration. Think of the wise men. At the story of Christmas, bowing down before Jesus in the manger and presenting their gifts in what? In worship and adoration. And now in the same way, the response of these women when they saw Jesus was to bow down and worship him. And note that Jesus is not a spirit here. He's not a ghost. He's, he's not even some type of walker in a zombie movie. No, Jesus was fully alive in his resurrected body. And this scene is one of joyful reunion as these two women cling to Jesus' feet and worship him. Think about it. Our two biggest holidays in the year, Christmas and Easter. Today we're celebrating Easter. And these two biggest holidays are as tangible as human skin 
we have a baby in a manger and a man with feet. As Frederick Bruner writes, the beautiful thing is this. God did not need a fetus for the incarnation, water for his son's baptism, a cross for his son's death, or a cadaver for his son's bodily resurrection. God can squeeze water from a stone, but God used all of these lowly realities to do the great work of salvation. Now, there's so much more that could be said. And yet, perhaps you are at home and you're wondering, you're thinking in your own mind, man, Bruce, this is all great, but but what does the resurrection of Jesus mean for me today? Well, I'm glad we're thinking about this question because that's the application. That's the implication of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Let me tell you, it makes a difference for us today. And there's two implications that I want to leave you with here this morning. And the first is this. Jesus' resurrection is powerful. It is powerful. Therefore, Jesus gives us, he provides for us, never-ending life. Think of it this way. Because Jesus rose from the dead. You and I, we can now be saved from eternal death for eternal life. Without the resurrection, though, there is absolutely no salvation. There's no forgiveness of sin. There is no eternal life. But Jesus did rise from the dead. And so Jesus' victory over sin and death, it secures our forgiveness of sin, in our right standing with God and gives us, provides for us the gift of eternal life. You know, the empty tomb. It is a symbol of great hope for those who put their faith in Jesus Christ. So what does that mean to put your faith in Christ? Well, it simply means that we come to the awareness of who we are before a holy God. We We come to the awareness of our own sinfulness that we need the forgiveness that's provided for us in Jesus Christ, that we cannot save ourselves. We can't do enough good works. We can't be a good enough person. And having come to this awareness of our sinfulness before a holy God, we then confess our sin, asking Jesus to be our Savior and Lord. Listen to what it says in 1 John 5, verses 11 through 13. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And since Jesus conquered death, it means Jesus has the power to give us eternal life, never-ending life. And this is why Paul could, in a sense, mock death by triumphantly saying in 1 Corinthians 15, Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so Jesus' resurrection is powerful. Listen, it's powerful for you. Jesus wants to give you never-ending life with the Father through his finished work on the cross and by the power of his resurrection. 
But Jesus' resurrection is just not powerful. It is also personal. That is, Jesus is with us through this life. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, we now have an ever-present Savior with us. Jesus is alive. And so he is with us now, today, in this life. Jesus himself, later on, in this very same chapter of Matthew, Matthew 28, he will tell us in verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And this is not a promise just for the 11 disciples that he's speaking to. This is a promise to all disciples in this present age. Jesus' promise is to all of us. Listen, I am with you always to the end of the age, this present age in which we now live. And so Jesus is with us now as we live this life today. Now, what comfort that is. In fact, what peace that brings us even today. And today, what are we trying to cope with? What are we dealing with today? I mean, we are coping and dealing with a pandemic like we have never seen before. And yet Jesus is with us in the midst of this pandemic. Listen, we may be tempted to forsake him, but he will never forsake us. So great was the power of his resurrection that nothing could keep Jesus in the tomb. Not the stone that was rolled across the entrance, not the Roman soldiers who guarded it, not the weight of our sin, not even the combined forces of hell. That means nothing, not even a virus like this pandemic is causing or we see here can separate us from our ever present Savior. You know, Jesus is actually present with his followers by his spirit, which empowers us with his resurrection power. Paul says it this way in Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. And so, get this, the same power that ripped open the tomb and brought Jesus back from the dead is now at work in us and for us. Now, as we come to this conclusion, what do we make of all this? What should we see today? Here it is, Easter Sunday. Listen, Matthew wants us to see And our God wants us to see the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He wants us to behold the risen Savior. Why? Because the resurrection of Jesus is the ultimate source of our hope and joy in this world. Think about it. In a world that is so tainted by sin and disease and death, what can calm our fears? What will fill us with hope? What can give us joy? Listen, it is only Jesus Christ. We have these phrases that we use in life. We'll say things like, well, there's light at the end of the tunnel. And we certainly want to use that phrase even now in the midst of this pandemic, that there's light at the end of the tunnel, that this will soon pass. Or we might say things like, our best days are ahead, or the future is bright, but How can we actually say this, really? 
I mean, what are we basing those sayings on? Because without Jesus, it's just wishful thinking. That's why Christianity offers the only sure hope in our lives and thus provides us with the only solid ground for lasting joy. And it is found in none other than Jesus Christ, the one who rose from the grave. And if Jesus rose from the dead, it proves that his death really did atone for our sins. And if your sins are paid for, listen, that's reason to rejoice. If Jesus rose from the dead, that also means we don't have to fear death. And right now, we are living in a time where people are fearful of death like never before. They are fearful of dying from this virus. It doesn't have to. That is this fear of death. It doesn't have to hang over us, reaching back into our lives and sucking the joy out of our souls. Why? Because we know that in Christ we have eternal life. Because Jesus is alive. Listen, Christians can be filled with real joy and hope today. Joy that doesn't ignore the pain of life. It's a joy that doesn't deny the reality of this pandemic. It's a joy that isn't just a pipe dream, but it's a joy that is founded on the reality that Jesus died and came back to life. So on this Easter Sunday, listen, let me encourage you to simply behold the risen Lord and believe. Trust Jesus for your salvation, for he is the ultimate source of sure hope and lasting joy. You know, the hope of Easter, it ultimately points to this one question. Are you trusting in Jesus for your salvation? Are you trusting in him alone for your salvation? John says in John chapter 5, verse 24, Verily, truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life, and will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Paul says it this way in Romans 10, 9 and 10. He says, if you will declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. And so my question again is, will you respond to Jesus Christ? Will you behold and believe the risen Lord? His resurrection is powerful. He wants to provide for you never-ending life. His resurrection is also personal. He wants to live with you as an ever-present Savior and Lord in this life now as we go through the life that we have before us. That brings us great joy and great hope. It is a joy and a hope that is founded on none other than the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And that changes everything. Will you believe? Will you behold the risen Savior and invite Him to make a difference in your life, to be your Savior, to be your Lord, your King, your Ruler? 
That is the invitation from God to you on this Easter Sunday. Will you bow your heads with me? And I know you're at home. I know you may be on your couch, maybe in a chair or at your desk somewhere watching this online. But even in this moment, while we're separated and yet together through Facebook Live here, listen, God wants to work in your life. God wants to do something powerful if you will open up your heart to him and receive him by faith. And so one way you can do that, the only way, is to open up your heart and to pray and to invite him to confess your sins and repent and ask him to be your Savior and Lord. And you can pray something like this. Heavenly Father, I know that I'm a sinner and I need your forgiveness. I believe that Jesus is the Savior who died to pay the penalty for my sin and rose again. I want to turn from my sins and follow you instead. So please forgive me and save me. I receive your son, Jesus, by faith as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. And the Bible tells us that if you prayed that with humble faith, depending on Jesus Christ, that you are now a new creation. You are now part of the family of God, and we would love the opportunity to celebrate with you. We'd love to know about it. One way that you can help us in that is to simply fill out the connection card that's in the comments section, or even just type in your name in the comments section and just reply, hey, I pray to receive Christ as my Savior. And you can contact us. We'll try to get a hold of you if you leave us information and help you in your new journey with Jesus Christ. It is powerful and it is personal. You know, here at LifeBridge, our mission is to bridge the gap with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We truly believe the gospel is what makes a difference in people's lives. And that is why we are taking time, like today and each Sunday, to present the gospel, the hope and the joy that's found in Jesus. And one way that you can help us do that is by continuing to give financially so that we can continue here at LifeBridge with the mission that God has given to us. You know, your giving honors the Lord. And it fuels our mission to bridge the gap here in Kansas City and around the world, even through our missionary partnerships. And the easiest way to give is to do so online at wearelifebridge.com. I know many of you have already give online, and even some of you are beginning for the first time to do so in these last few weeks. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to continue to support the mission and ministries of LifeBridge. And so online giving is the easiest way right now since we can't meet together. It's safe, it's secure, and uh, it's, it's simple. And so I encourage you to consider this option. Obviously, you can still continue to mail in your offerings here to our church address, and we appreciate that as well. And if you have any questions, if you have any needs whatsoever, please don't hesitate to contact us here at LifeBridge. We are still here to serve you in the midst of this pandemic. I want to invite you to join us again next week. We will actually conclude this series, The Passion of the Christ. You know, Jesus rose from the dead, but he gives some last orders. He gives a last commission, if you will, to his followers. And, uh, and we're going to take time to look at that last next Sunday. And so I invite you to come back online, 1045, I mean, yeah, 1045 a.m. In the meantime, Stay strong in the Lord. Now, I want to leave you with one verse here. 
as we sign off. It comes from Paul in Romans 15, 13. Listen to what he says. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless, and we'll see you next Sunday at 1045 a.m.